Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I am Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives. And today we thought we'll do an episode on answering some questions from our fans and listeners. We haven't done this one for a while, boys. Nah. Uh, yeah, so it's been a while. But so we've been getting a lot of Facebook fans uh, been asking us questions by email. And we've been trying to get to majority of them. I, I, you know, I hope you appreciate the answers. But some of the questions have been fantastic, haven't they? Mm. Yeah, Thanks. definitely worth sharing. Yeah, so we thought we would share some of those questions and our answers to them, just in case you missed it on our Facebook page. All right, so but uh, before so we dramatic. do that, you're so dramatic. It'll take yeah. <laughs> our Facebook page. Can we have radio voice going? Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right, guys. So let's. I think well, you actually have a shout out to to begin the day. Look, I do, and look, please let's not make this a habit. <laughs> when I jumped onto um, iTunes today just to check it, see where our position was in the world rankings of um, of podcast health podcasts, uh, one of the uh, which I have to say it's it's not as good as what it used to be. But what I'd love to know is why people aren't recommending us. I'd, I'd get on, t- start recommending us again because we were flying for a little bit of time. We were number one today. We we're number eighteen. I was shocked and dismayed, but all that aside, not that, that doesn't mean that we've got a bad podcast. What it means is that you're not spreading the word. You've got to tell more people about it, and the more people you tell, the better it's going to be. Like this guy, Chris Higgins, he's an exercise physiologist, and he wrote one of the, the most glowing testimonials I've ever read of anybody. It was just absolutely incredible. He basically sings our praises. He said it's the only podcast he listens to. He reckons that most of the stuff out there is rubbish, and now it's fantastic. And then he went on to say that uh, he could listen to the whole podcast, which was really good, and he liked the mix between the humor, the science, the conversation style that we have, um, and he's, he shares it with all of his um, with all of his patients. So, you know, thanks, Chris. Thanks nice. for you know letting us know that you're enjoying it. And look, what what I got from iTunes when I jumped on there was over sixty different. Um, um, ratings or 60 different people saying, you know, great job, and everybody's just loving what we're doing. So thank you so much for, for doing that, but spread spread the word more. Tell more people about it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's also subscribing to iTunes and also listening via your iTunes um, iPod or iPhone. Um, that's one way to get make sure that we get our rankings up. But we are actually number two in um, the fitness and health or nutrition category, I believe. Uh, wow. We just checked that just before. Yep, yeah, we and we're actually number four in health demo, so I don't know what you're looking at because I only really? just looked at it a moment ago. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was number so 18 jumped up. when I jumped on. <laughs> oh. Maybe in Melbourne, maybe. <laughs> or maybe, maybe that's the world rankings. Maybe that's the world rankings. Maybe, maybe it's the world rankings. Maybe I have to adjust my country settings. Yeah. Well, anyways, well, I w- we do want to say thanks for Chris. That was a, that's a great uh, comment by you. So thank you very much. But uh, today's episode, we have lots of questions, so we want to make sure that we get who all of these. So the first one, uh, people have been asking. This has been several people have been asking about this. Is the difference between artificial sweeteners and sugar? Which one's best? And uh, what should they use? So I'll toss this over to Demo because uh, Demo, you, since you are the nutritional dude in our uh, podcast. <laughs> Let's uh, let's hear what you have to say. Oh, I'm only the part-time nutritional dude, you know. Bredo's <laughs> taken over most of that these days, so you know, <laughs> I just got to stick to eating my carrots in the quarter. But no, <laughs> the thing is, um, artificial sweeteners just 
let's just start with the the word artificial <laughs> straight yeah. up. Like it, it just <laughs> kind of doesn't make any sense that so we put that into our body anyway. And when something's artificial, it means that it's been uh, man made or machine made or derived by chemicals. And uh, and really, unless it's natural, it's our body's not going to recognise it too well. Now, what I do know, we've spoken a lot about evolution, um, and I, and I know that we have evolved to be able to manage a whole host of different types of chemicals throughout our existence. Um, however, we haven't evolved to manage many of the different chemicals that come to us in the forms of artificial sweeteners. So let's just say that sugar comes in various different forms. Um, the more natural the sugar is, the better it is for us. So for example, we could look at coconut sugar or rapadura sugar. Both of those sugars are uh, both extracted from an actual plant and then just dried and then broken down. Then you go all the way through to your refined sugars, um, and that could be uh, your white sugar or your raw sugar or your brown sugar or all those sorts of sugars. And the, the fact of them being, the fact that they are actually all natural means that uh, the body has an, a response to it, which is a measurable response. And that measurable response is a rise in blood sugar. And that enables us to then be able to modify our diet accordingly. And we can understand the response of our body to that particular food. But when we put something artificial into our body, it's not necessarily going to give us a measurable response. So, and what many of us don't actually realize, or many people potentially listening to the podcast may not realize, is that some of these things, for example, uh, the ingredients that you find in aspartame, um, can in fact be neurotoxic to the body. So if we look at two of the ingredients, one of them is phenylalanine, the other one's aspartic acid, both of those by themselves are amino acids. And by themselves, or when combined in protein sources, are excellent for the body. In large concentrations, phenylalanine has been shown to not be good. Um, and the same as large concentrations of aspartic acid, you know, on their own, you don't want to have too much of any one uh, individual amino acid. So just if you look at it from that point of view, just dosing up on those particular aminos may not be ideal. In saying that, the warning that you see on diet drinks is not because phenylalanine is bad, it's because for people who can't digest protein or amino acids, and they're known as phenylketonurics, when they can't when they can't digest phenylalanine, they die. Their kidneys pack up and they die. So this is actually a warning to let them know that if they drink this, they will die. And it's it's a specific warning for phenylketonurics. That's what you'll see on the side of the container. And so it's just a normal um, everyday warning, like saying this may contain traces of nuts and seeds, or this was made on a on a on a, a, a plant where there was sesame seeds. So they're warnings for people who are concerned about a particular ingredient, not because phenylalanine is bad for all of us. However, the way in which aspartic acid and phenylalanine are held together is with um, methanol. And so when you're putting wood alcohol uh, and, and combining that with two particular amino acids, you really do form quite a toxic substance within the body. And it's interesting because as each of these substances breaks down in the body and is digested, the body's then got to try and clear it. Now, I don't know how your body goes, Bredo, or how your body goes, LT, with getting methanol out of your system, but um, I suspect it's probably pretty tough on your liver like it would be everybody else's who's having aspartame. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the issues with the artificial sweeteners as well is that they, they create an expectation in your body that there's a whole range of calories coming in, that there's a whole range of food coming into your body because your body tastes that sweetness and it starts preparing for that. Mm. Um, and when that doesn't come, then your body's going to have a reaction around that too because your body's prepared for digesting some sugars, digest, some taking in some nutrients, you know, putting some insulin into your body. And, and when that sugar doesn't come, you're going to be left craving sugars. 
So, so a lot of the time, you know, studies they've done comparing people who are having the artificial sweeteners versus having the sugars is some of them have actually shown that people having the artificial sweeteners were putting on more weight than the people having the sugars, even though there was no calories in the artificial sweeteners. So it's worth thinking about whether it's actually getting the end benefit that is being marketed to you or that you thought you were getting from that as well. Um, so I think, you know, everyone pretty much knows that we're not, you know, huge fans of having huge amounts of sugar in your diet, but I think if it came down to it and you had to choose between an artificial sugar and a sugar, uh, I'd take the sugar every time. Absolutely. Mm, There's a couple of others. You know, you've got sucralose, you've got um, acylphone K, there's, um, um, I don't want to mention brand names, I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones that are that are out there, but it, it, sorbitol is another one of those ones. And what we actually know about sorbitol and sucralose is that they break down later in the digestive process and they still result in a blood sugar spike, but later in digestion. So whilst you won't see in that initial one to two or three hours that you typically see um, a sugar spike from taking normal sugar, you'll still, still see an insulin response and a sugar response or a glycemic response later in the digestive process. And so it's just a delayed reaction. And Bredo, spot on with saying that um, you, you're still initiating that uh, that brain or that psychological response to the sweetness uh, within the body. So yeah, well, listen, I'm just talking about the first thing you mentioned was artificial, right? It's like, it is an artificial intelligence. We, we talk about intelligence in food, which you talk about a lot, Damo, yeah. and there's just no intelligence in anything that's artificial, right? And our body just can't process it. But what most people don't realize is actually the background of aspartame, um, where it actually first got approved, where at the FDA actually back, I think it was about in the 70s, it is in the 70s. Uh, where it was knocked back at least two or three times. And FDA kept on knocking it back. And it wasn't actually until um, Donald Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld, is it Rumsfeld? Yeah, Rumsfeld, the, you know, who was part of the Secretary of Defense in the George W. Bush administration. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan back in 1981. Now, he's got a conflict of interest because he was actually the CEO of the company who, um, I think it's G.D. Cyril that owned Aspartame at the time. And he, when he got approved, when sorry, when Ronald Reagan got elected to be president, they actually put him, Ronald Reagan put him in charge of the FDA, and he got aspartame approved within a year um, <laughs> under under his watch. Even, even though he's been he's part of the CEO of the company that owns aspartame, and um, I remember the I remember reading a story, and don't quote me on this. You have to do a bit of research on this. I'm pretty sure where it was a three to two vote against. And so what he did was he basically said, okay, well, I'm going to add a, a, one more person to, to the vote. So it was a 3-3 tie. Um, to, so therefore, he, since he was the head of the FDA, um, he just said, well, uh, since it's a tie, I have the vote. And that's how uh, Aspartame actually got approved. And it's interesting you mentioned the FDA, Lawrence, because I know that in America, um, that Aspartame is actually one of, or if not the most reported adverse reactions um, to the FDA in America, you know, mm. it's it, it, incredibly high number of their adverse reactions reported are as a result of aspartame. Just yeah. fascinating, and it's unfortunate. It's in everything. It is in absolutely everything. And I think now, who owns, who has the right of aspartame? It's Monsanto. So, if you know anything about Monsanto and the drugs that they put out, oh and, my gosh, that's right. <laughs> All right, so I think that's enough about artificial that sweetness one. and yeah. sugar, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, we do, ha we did actually have a question on um, chocolate. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things. Uh, <laughs> this question was this this question was actually asked over the Easter break, but uh, I think that what the main question that one people wanted to know is what type of chocolate should they have? You know, obviously they, they still want to have the chocolates. They want to, some people just don't want to give it up, but if they want to have it, 
what chocolate should they have? Uh, Brett, let's uh, pass it on to you first and uh, let's see what you think. Great. Well, I know that uh, in our interview with Cindy Amira recently, she mentioned some chocolate there that she was making, and uh, and I know that she is going to be putting out a um, a blog on that very soon that we'll be able to share with our listeners of the the particular recipes you use to make some of that chocolate. Um, so we will share that with them. Um, I also have uh, I actually went to a seminar today from Dr. Yana James, which is fantastic, and she she made some chocolate when she came around to my house, um, and that was a chocolate dip. Um, and it actually had in it, it had banana, it had avocado, it had cocoa powder, and it had maple syrup, I think it was. Um, and that was fantastic. That tasted so good. You absolutely, a great healthy alternative or, you know, a great healthy option for chocolate. Um, and we actually had that with just some fresh fruit dipped into it, and it was amazing. So I will ask her for permission to put that recipe on the on the Facebook page as well, because that was awesome. Wow. So those are some good options if you want to have something chocolatey that sounds incredible well that's a long far cry from um the wouldn't it be nice half of what glass and a half of uh, <laughs> that you know, the purple ribbon so yeah. that's um that's full on but uh look good on you yana and well done that's that's amazing i wouldn't mind trying some of that myself actually i'm a bit of a chocolate fan. i don't mind it i know that lt is too um i've always said that the darker the chocolate the smarter it is. And the way in which I argue that is that when you try to eat a whole block of dark chocolate, it's really difficult. Um, your body actually gets signals from the darker chocolate to tell you to stop eating it. Um, and, but you can eat quite easily eat a whole block of milk chocolate because there's a lack of intelligence in it. So I go with the least refined sort of stuff. You know, the darker it is, the easier it is for your body to recognize that, hey, I think you've had enough. So Bretto, you might take that to the nth degree and actually go and chop down a cocoa bean from a uh, from a tree um, or actually you might actually chop down the whole tree and drag that back to your house and then just shake off some cocoa beans. house <laughs> cave <your> cave sorry <laughs> you might do that but uh, i i'm more likely to go a slightly more refined version and you know potentially look at the darker chocolate that's that's the the thing that i would suggest that you do if you're going to get involved in chocolate make it darker um, or if you can be uh, as well behaved as what Brie is and what Jana is, then go for gold. Make that recipe. And I, I know Bretto, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to try it out. It's it awesome. seriously good. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think another thing too is, is also the price too. You know, the cheaper the chocolate, usually they're really bad chocolate and you can eat a lot of it and so your body wouldn't recognize it and won't, won't tell you to stop. So, you know, the darker the chocolate, dark chocolate is better, but also to the, you know, the higher quality types of chocolate, which is obviously, obviously most often is usually pricier. Um, you can't eat a lot of that. And typically. a lot of this to do with sugar content as well. Typically, those cheaper cho chocolates just have huge amounts of sugar in them. So, mm. so have a good look at how much sugar is actually in it because that can give you a bit of a hint. Yeah, because yeah, you can't get really dark chocolate with bucket loads of sugar in it. Like that's right. That's, you know, what's that? There's one that's uh, a dark chocolate by a major manufacturer. It's got something like a, a something club or something gold. or I, I can't remember <laughs> the actual name, whatever it is, but it's... Um, People find that very, very easy to eat. And so they can go, oh, no, I can get through a whole block. And that's that's not because um, it's it's actually good quality. It, it might be dark chocolate, but it's got a bucket load of sugar in it, um, yeah. as opposed to the 80% cocoa chocolates you might get from, say, Madagascar or something like that, which are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Well, thanks for that question, uh, Melissa. So let's move on to the next question. Uh, this one's from Diane. Uh, she's talking about barefoot running, and this is obviously, this is you know, you know, Brett O Caveman, let's, yeah. uh, let's bring it on. Let's tell us what uh, barefoot shoes you use. And, uh, you know, can you point us to the listeners to what directions, website, brands, you know, where to find yeah. these barefoot shoes? 
Absolutely. There, there's lots of them out there now, which is great. I know, you know, when I first started getting into it, there was only a couple of brands really doing it. Um, but pretty much all of the major brands are now coming out with a version of a barefoot shoe. Um, some of them are more barefoot than others. So you've got like, for instance, your Nike Freeze, which still have quite a significant sole in them, yeah. um, which actually can be a disadvantage. People think, well, that's an advantage because it's still really flexible, but it's got a bit of a padded sole. Um, and what I find is the more padded sole it has, the less input, less feedback you get from the ground, um, which is not painful feedback, but just feedback about how you're running and how much force is coming back up your legs, um, then the less you actually adapt your technique and start running with better technique. So I think the more the more minimal sold shoes, the better. Um, and you want, obviously, which most of them do have, is a puncture-resistant sole so that you know it's not like completely thin and there's glass shards <laughs> sticking up through the road into your feet or anything like that because that's important. Um, the shoes I run in are uh, Vivo Barefoots. They're fantastic. Um, but there's plenty of other great shoes out there. Obviously, the Vibram Five Fingers are some really popular ones which everyone instantly recognizes because they're individual toes. Um, there's heaps of different brands. You know, I think Merrell's do some now. Uh, you know, New Balance do some now heaps of different brands out there so you can pretty much go to your local shoe store now if it's a good shoe store and find some barefoot options um, otherwise there's heaps of them on the net so start having a look around um, there's various different websites but you'll definitely find the the five fingers um, you'll definitely find the vivos on the net um, and often if you have a look at some of the US websites for those of us in Australia then some of the US websites can have pretty good prices when you're looking at some online stuff too so there's there's plenty of places to go there, but uh, yeah, look look for something with a minimalist sole. You know, the the ones I run in a three mil sole the whole way through, and really flexible soles. So you don't want it to be rigid at all, and um, and you want it to be puncture resistant. So those are probably the three key things to look for. Yeah, Brett, this is always a common question uh, people ask. What about the arch support in a shoe? You know, like obviously the barefoot yeah. ones. One like is that a problem? No, it's actually a good thing. So. I uh, I was really flat-footed as a youngster. So from the age of about thirteen to the age of thirty, I had uh, I actually had orthotics in my shoes. Um, so obviously, completely trying to maintain that arch support. Um, and as soon as I took those orthotics out and walked around barefoot, my feet were just as flat as a tack. Like my you know my inner ankles were just about rolling along the ground, sort of thing. You know, I would just roll in and completely <laughs> flatten out. Wow. And um, and so what I've actually found is since going back into barefoot shoes, and I actually wear barefoot shoes 24-7 now. That's the only thing I wear. So I adjust in barefoot shoes. I go everywhere I go in barefoot shoes. I, if I wear my suit, I'm still wearing my barefoot shoes. Such a so, caveman. <laughs> but what I've found is that actually the arch has started to return to my feet. So I've actually nice. got more of an arch in my feet now than before because I'm actually using it. I'm building up the muscles in my feet and regaining my arch naturally. Um, I have worked with a podiatrist who was doing some adjustments to my feet to make sure all those joints were moving again because they'd nice. gotten pretty stuck from yes. spending 17 years stuck in a orthotic and a shoe. Not all um, podiatrists do that too. It's important to remember. No, it's, yeah. there's very few that do it. It's, yeah. it's yeah, important to find a good one that can help you out with that um, and some rehabilitative exercise because uh, you know my feet were really weak just from not having used certain muscles for a really long time. Um, that I did some exercises there, but. You know, at the end of the day, the exercises for me weren't a huge part of it. I found that when I just got into my barefoot shoes and wore them all day, then the muscles spilled back up anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the arch, the lack of arch support, there's probably a small percentage of people who have feet that are just so dysfunctional that they need that arch support. But I think for most people, they're actually better off getting rid of it, getting help from a podiatrist to get your feet moving again and actually building back those muscles. Yeah, I've seen some chiros do it too as well. So some chiropractors do do it, not all obviously, but uh, yep. some chiropractors do work on the feet and get them moving as well. Absolutely. 
Listen, just, this, uh, yeah, something. go ahead. It was just, of course. I was just, I, when Brett mentioned, because I've heard of the uh, the uh, the Vivo Barefoots, I've heard of those before, and the, and I couldn't work out why I had, but now I recognise it because um, Simon Floriani used to sell them in his practice, right? So, and I was there, so um, I I remember seeing them, and uh, one of the things that I remember learning about those was that um, they say that um, if a if a if the sole is thicker than seven millimeters then it can't be considered to be uh, barefoot because at seven millimetres, like seven millimetres, it's just over <laughs> half a half a centimetre. If the sole is thicker than that, then there's no proprioception to the foot, like yeah. zero. And that's that's the key with the barefoot technique is that once you start getting that proprioception, which is that feedback from your foot about how your foot's landing and where your foot is in space, that's actually what helps you correct your technique and return to a natural barefoot technique. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right, so I love this next question. We're running out of time almost. It's crazy. But uh, <laughs> this question is from Alison, and uh, I'm going to just read the whole thing here. So why some people get fat and others don't? Obviously, there's a frustration there. Um, as in two people eating the exact same food, be it healthy or unhealthy, and doing the same exercise, yet one puts on the weight and the other maintains their weight. Love to understand more. Uh, can I start? Demo? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to just pass that <laughs> one to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going let me start, let me start, let me go. Well, the thing is, what, there's this perception that what's good for one is good for everybody, and that's not the mm. case. Uh, you know, the, genetically, we've, uh, there's, we, we're, we're all very genetically different. So, um, you know, what might be good for Bretto might not be good for LT. What might be good for LT may not be good for me. And uh, But there is a, an underground or a, like a – not an underground, sorry, more of a, a – um, like a, a theme that you can follow that keeps you healthy. And that's what we've been talking about in terms of, you know, living more primally, in Brett's case, very paleo, and in my case, probably more, more certainly towards paleo, but not full-on paleo. But the idea being that you eat as natural as you possibly can. Now, there's some foods that'll be really, really good for you and some foods that won't be um, just based on your genes. Um, there's some people that I've actually done genetic testing with um, who shouldn't have any olive oil. And there's other people out there who should drink heaps of the stuff. There's other people who can't tolerate at all any coconut oil because it's got saturated fat in it. But there's other people who can actually have coconut oil and do really, really well from it. And, uh, and, 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 and likewise, some people won't have an adrenal response that's anywhere near as significant as other people when they uh, have a little bit of caffeine put into their system. So mm. genetically, we're programmed slightly differently. So there's that. But there's also then the environmental triggers. So you need to be able to put people into the same environment. So if you had two people eating the same food um, in the same environment and there was some kind of difference in the outcome, then you'd have to consider that it was genes. But if the environment is, is different, then you could consider that the environment is playing a role to play. So it could be deodorants. It could be the inability to detoxify effectively. It could be um, stored feces. You might not be pooing as much as what you should. It could mm. be um, hydration. It could be a whole host of other things. It could be stresses in your life. So there's other things that can come into, into play there. Is there anything you yeah. want to add there, Brother? I've got a few things I want to add. Um, yeah, I reckon there's a few things that can, um, even though you're eating all the right stuff, can really affect you. Um, one of those is definitely stress, as you just mentioned, Damo. Yeah. Um, and we know that when that stress response is overactive in your body, then it really does encourage your body to store more fat um, and to not utilize the fat that you've got there and, and start burning it up. So so stress can actually play a huge role in that in, mm -hmm. in terms of what your body does with the, the material that's coming in there. Um, the other thing can be have a big effect is food quality. Um, so you may actually be eating the, the same food, but actually a different quality of food. 
Um, and that can adversely affect your body too in terms of how your body processes and utilizes that food. If you're not getting the same quality, um, then you may not be getting the same results either. You're talking about um, the types of like organic or biodynamic. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. What what yeah. sort of stuff is actually in the food? Because you know we heard Cindy speak in that interview about how you know lots of other stuff can be stuffed in there and hidden in the food, and That's you know there can be different amounts of sugar in. The, you know, we just spoke about the chocolate, right? There could be you know, you can both be eating dark chocolate, but one of you is eating the, you know, 80% high quality one, one of you is eating the one that's full of sugar, well, then you're going to get different results there as well. So, definitely the quality of those ingredients can make an, a difference in terms of the result. Mm. Um, and chiropractic can make a difference as well. You know, actually having a healthy sure. functioning spine and nervous system is going to change how your body's processing and utilizing the food that you are getting and how your body deals with that and how your body manages that. So, um, you know, once again, that has a big impact on that stress response in your body. Um, and the final point I wanted to make was that sometimes it's that last 5% of what you eat that makes all the difference. So sometimes people will think they're eating the exact same thing as somebody else, but it, it can just be a few tiny little tweaks that you almost don't even notice that there's you know that difference there. And it can be just that last five percent that makes the world of difference. So so perhaps you know um, you know I find for people sometimes actually keeping a food diary can be a really good idea because um, it enables them to understand what they are actually eating, and sometimes that can be different to their perception of what they're eating as well you know i've certainly found that with myself when i've gone through and done that process that you know once you look at it in black and white you go oh gee that's a bit more of that than i thought was going in there so a couple of different things to think about there i reckon yeah two things i would like to quickly add i think uh, you know you talked about uh, demo about the environmental stresses or the environmental issues i don't think any of us will actually be exactly the same with those environmental stresses because our men mental perception of a stressor could be completely different you know exactly. one particular say you know uh say something you heard something on the news like you and i could both be listening to the news but it could really affect me like in terms of emotionally but it may not have no impact on you whatsoever even though it's the same trigger so i don't think any of us will ever live exactly the same environment even if we live in the same household and uh you know we have the same job and, and everything else just because our upbringing our you know really does affect the stress and the perception and the belief system which is what bruce Lilton talks a lot about so that in itself can create a lot of um, your ability and how your body actually processes the food. And the second thing I think it's important for people to know that what we suggest on this podcast is, although it's great, great content, and obviously it is great content, but it is generalized to majority of people. But there are certain people that will not fit into that mold, right? And we we got we you know you mentioned that with genetic testing, and I know I remember getting tested for myself um, and you know we found out that I couldn't tolerate caffeine or couldn't tolerate alcohol very well I could but it I just don't do it very well and that in itself you know one of the reasons why I don't drink or actually drink any coffee or caffeine or anything like that so it's really important that realize majority of the things that we say is will fit most people but there are certain people who will not fit into that mold and obviously we need to do a bit more testing let's see if we can punch out a couple more questions here um, Diamond Lily would like to ask a question about one of our podcasts on uh, podcast number 29. She'd like to hear more about how we manage psoriasis. Um, you know, <laughs> I think it's some... because I mentioned that I had psoriasis. Mm -hmm. Many people are actually told that uh, if you've got psoriasis, you've got it for the whole of your life. Well, that's, that hasn't been my experience. And the, the way in which I got on top of it is I did repeated liver cleansing um, and I continue to eat a very, very clean diet. I don't drink uh, much alcohol. In fact, you could almost say that I don't drink alcohol at all. Or we couldn't because I actually have a drink every now and then. But, uh, but 
you know, I, I do things very, very cleanly these days. I make sure I take fish oil. I eat a very, very, uh, very, very rich diet in um, micro and macronutrients. Uh, so I'm eating all of the proteins, all the fats, all the appropriate carbohydrates, um, which is fruit and vegetables essentially. And, uh, and you know, I'm looking to make sure that I, I keep my body, you know, well. I make sure my bowels are working really well. These are the key things that you've got to do. So you keep your liver healthy, you keep your guts healthy, and everything else will be healthy. Oh, and uh, did I mention the spine? If you're not getting your spine, <laughs> if you're not getting your spine checked, it doesn't matter what you do. Your nervous system's not going to be as well as what it should be. And if your nervous system's not working well, you can't tell your body to do whatever you want it to do because it can't do what it needs to do if the if the nervous system's not working well. So go see a chiropractor. It tends to work. Um, nice. I'm going to go lead with one last. There's a couple of questions left, but I want to just mention Helen Hall. Helen, you talked a lot about breastfeeding and uh, some judgment about breastfeeding. We're going to get to that. I think that's a bigger. Um, issue and and I think that we need to cover that on a on a, on a particular podcast. I think we'll do that as one of the big ones with kids and stuff yeah. and babies. So we'll cover that. Let's leave off with one last question. And we've been getting a lot of people who are doing you know marathons, triathletes, you know five k runs or whatever. What can they eat on a bike ride or a race? You know what should they have? Should I have the Gatorade? Should I? And we kind of discussed this, but I want to just be clear on this so people can to understand what we're trying to say. Uh, Brett, let's say what you have to say. Yeah, I think um, in terms of what to eat on a bike ride or race, you know, we spoke about this a little bit earlier with Damo off air, and and what we were saying was that uh, very often for for a lot of people, depending on how far you're going, you may not need to eat anything. You know, if if you're going, you know, for me, I'm often running, and it might be five, ten, fifteen kilometres, um, and I most of the time won't eat anything on that. You know, if I get up to twenty kilometres or above, then I'll start thinking about eating something. Uh, but we seem to be trained to this idea that we have to eat uh, to go and exercise, and it is not the case. You've got plenty of stored energy there in your body. In fact, many of us have got more stored energy than we'd like to have there in the body. Um, <laughs> yes. So, you know, we're not we're not going to fade away and, you know, pass out out the middle of the wilderness running around. Um, so you, you probably need to, for many people, they need to get past that already. They absolutely have to eat. And then if you're doing enough, you know, long enough endurance that you you do need to eat something, then I just think keep it simple, keep it clean, um, have some fat and protein in there. Don't buy into the idea that it has to be completely carbohydrate laden. Mm. Um, and so, you know, usually if I do a longer run, it'll be simple. It'll be some nuts and some dates maybe, you know, like as simple as that. It'll just be really clean stuff. If I'm going for a really long run and, you know, I'm talking now, you know, three, four, five hours, then... You know, I'll take some food with me and it might be a banana and there might be some, some nuts again um, and some other pieces of fruit perhaps. And, that, and that's really enough to keep you going. Um, and then the electrolyte drink, which I know I've spoken about before, um, if, you, if you're going above sort of two or three hours and you, you want to think about replacing those electrolytes, um, and that's just coconut water, blueberries, bananas, and a little bit of sea salt. And simple as, really clean, um, but gives you everything you need to keep going. Excellent. Well, great guys that's packed in and we got to sign off so uh if you have more questions please check out on our facebook obviously on our facebook page and uh, also on our website www.thewellnessguys.com leave your comments below this episode tell us what you think now more importantly please tell your friends and family we're trying to spread the message and we're putting everything in here on these podcasts so that we can help change the world so really hope you guys join us on our itunes um, podcast until next week begin creating wellness into your lives lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guy show